We lift your name high, O Lord. Father, these are your chosen sons and daughters. And I ask that tonight they would not hear one word from me, but that they would hear from the faithful and true Holy Spirit. They love you. They hunger. They chase after you. They, they have given their all for you. I am well aware uh, that I am in need of washing their feet tonight for the beautiful servants they are to you, Jesus. So I ask God of mercy. Own me and let the Holy Spirit own me this night. And let the Holy Spirit own them. That everything that is on your banqueting table for them tonight, they shall eat and they shall take deep into their soul and deeper into their spirit until they're never the same. In the name of Jesus, amen. Everyone that's here tonight is here because you have a hunger and you have a longing for Jesus. And that can only be exceeded by his hunger and his longing for you. For as Hebrews 7.25 says, this very moment, Jesus is interceding for you that you will receive the fullness of salvation, that you will receive more than you have ever thought was available, possible, or accessible in the kingdom of heaven. In the Father's heart, he sent his Son that we may become imitators of his Son and we may carry the Spirit in the same wealth and propensity that his Son did. And Jesus made the path very simple. He said, just do two things. Just love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor. And if you just focus on those two things, everything else in the law and everything else in the prophets will just automatically come true in your character and in your life and in your values and in your relationships. And if you can just focus on two things, that will bring you into such oneness with him and oneness with one another that you can step then into John 17 where he says, Oh, Father, may they be one with us and one another so the whole world will know me. And so that those who believe in me will believe internally to their depths that you love them the same way you love me. It was a plan to reach the entire world. It was the only strategy he ever gave. But Lucifer, Satan, knows the power of oneness. And that's why in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, he upset everything in heaven. Although it didn't last long, Jesus said, you know what? I did see Lucifer. He rose up and he fell as fast as a lightning bolt. 
but he came against oneness and he still does. Paul wanted us to understand this. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, when he's telling us about the armor of God, he states very clearly, this is why you need the armor of God, so that you can stand against the wiles of the enemy. And in the Greek, the word for wiles, its original root was of robbers who chose one road. They didn't go to many roads. They took one road, and then they just waited for the person to come on that one road. And Paul was saying, the enemy has one road, and he's lying in wait for you on that one road. You must understand what that one road is. And when Paul was writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he proclaims to them, we're not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. And in the Greek, it was quite revealing. He said, we're not ignorant of the schemes. And the word he used there was no emata. We're not ignorant that the one thing the enemy does is he comes against your mind. Noah is your mind. Mata is like coming against, coming against your mind. He said, we're not ignorant that the one road the enemy has is to come against your mind. And then of all the words Paul could have used for Satan, he used the word diabolos. Dia, which is our root word for diameter, was a term used for when a soldier would shoot an arrow through a target and it would penetrate it so that the arrow is on both sides of the target. Bolos was a word that meant you hit it again and again and again and again and again until you bust through. So Paul says, we, we know there's one road. Satan lies in wait. And the one road is he's waiting to come against our mind. And he's going to come against your mind. And he's going to hit it over and over and over again with whispers and thoughts and all of his words. Trying to penetrate your mind so the enemy's thoughts become so mixed in with your thoughts you soon think they are your thoughts and you accept them. Paul said the enemy doesn't have a big toolbox. He has one road. One. And it's here. And as a man thinketh, so he is, is what scripture says. So what is the one road? What is the one tool that he uses that is his top arsenal that everything else flows from it. Paul made it very clear. And some scholars believe from Genesis to Revelation this is the only time this phraseology is used. And you're familiar with this verse, but the Lord wants to bring revelation tonight. That the one thing he does, what is the one thing God does not do? For God does not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And in that moment, 
Paul knew he was dying. He was talking to his faithful son. He knew this would be the last letter he would write to him, and he is giving him in capsule form the fruit of all of his years in the desert, all of his years in ministry, all of his years in prison, and he's going, look out for fear, Timothy. Fan the fire of your call, but whatever you do, look out for fear, son. And remember, God never gives it to you. And the word that Paul used was for the full continuum. Everything from anticipatory anxiety, like, oh, but what if this happens? What if that happens? To anxiety, to concern about what people think, or position, or how do, what's the right decision to make here? What about this, and what about that? And, and, and what, what, all the way to anxiety, to phobia, to where fear has so consumed us that in some areas of our life, we don't even know what is real anymore. Fear has so influenced our judgment, we're sure people want to hurt us. We're sure that's not a safe thing to do. We're sure God's not in this. We're sure this isn't wisdom because fear has been at home in us so long that we've accepted it as our thoughts and as reality. And in the way that Paul described it to Timothy, and some of you have heard me say this so many times, the grammatical structure is to whatever degree you have even a smidgen of anxiety, a smidgen of the fear that comes with codependency, fear about health, finances, whatever your realm of fear is, to the degree you have that, To equal proportion, you do not have the spirit of love, of receiving God's love and loving him, loving yourself and knowing how to love others. To the degree you have that fear, that's the degree you do not walk in power. The power that brings you health and peace in your mind and in your emotions, power to know the will of God and to do it the power to know how to love other people in an anointing. And that's the degree to which you don't have a sound mind. You you can't really see what's real. Everyone in this room and everyone on the face of this planet has had the same attack. We are no different. You may stand up and give your testimonies, and it sounds like they're all different, but everyone in this room, from the time they came out of their mama's womb till tonight, in some way, in some realm, have been tempted by the spirit of fear. For some, it's the fear of, I'm not doing enough ministry. I'm not making a difference. That's fear. That's not passion. It's fear. Fear has endless faces. But how do you know it's fear? Mm, You're not peaceful. You got a little strife inside. And it gets you caught up in yourself. And it gets you caught up in others. But it never leads you to be caught up in him. It leads you to a love that's distorted 
where you just give in so there's not conflict, you're codependent, or you keep your walls up. Fear distorts your power. And you're either so passive or controlling or you never give an opinion or you don't think it, you're just off balance. And you don't have a sound mind. You think somebody doesn't like you when that's a life in the pit of hell. Or you think just because you're a certain age, you ought to start having certain illnesses. A life in the pit of hell. Fear is ugly. And it robs you of everything that he purchased on the cross. And it robs you of that love and that power and that sound mind and, and that every promise is yours. Because fear diminishes our ability to believe. You see, doubt is a fear. When you have a doubt, it's really a fear that God's not going to do it. God's not going to help you out. God's not going to deliver. God's not going to bring your dream to come true. God's, it's a fear. We've come up with a zillion different names. We've even make them sound holy. Well, I want to make sure I don't make a mistake in God's will. He never meant for following his will to be a fearful, anxiety-producing thing. If you make a mistake, big deal. Simply big deal. I was a glorious perfectionist in my early 20s. It was my wound from my family that I needed to let God heal. I remember one, one day in, in a private moment of prayer out at the Garden of Gethsemane in Bardstown, Kentucky, when I got delivered, and I do mean delivered, from that generational thing of perfectionism. And you know what delivered me? As much as I hear your voice, I heard him say, Oh, Susan, mistakes are keys to the kingdom. That's how you learn humility and teachability and power. It broke off. He's amazing, isn't he? You see, the yoke is easy, the burden is light. When you're working at it, what are you afraid of? And so he wanted to make sure you knew that it was never his intent for you to have the slightest moment of anxiety, fear, dread, failure. <gasps> what if I miss it? Like 1 John four sixteen says, fear has to do with punishment. And when fear rises up, it's because unconsciously we're afraid of some kind of punishment. Maybe I'm going to fail. Maybe I'm going to be embarrassed. Maybe God will do this. Maybe, who knows? And sometimes we aren't even aware of what punishment we're anticipating. It's so deeply embedded, and we've so normalized the full continuum of fear. So what do you do? How do you get rid of fear? How do you get the spirit of fear out of you, whether it's in you big or little? How? Because everyone is assaulted by it in some realm. Everyone. The fear that the enemy brings is counterfeit. 
it's counterfeit of the fear of the Lord. Now, we are so limited with our English language. And if we were talking Hebrew or Greek, we would not be using the same word as the spirit of fear God didn't give you in the fear of the Lord. We wouldn't be using the same words. Listen to the fruit of the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of perpetual life. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord always leads you to life. Psalm 19.9, I love this phrase. The fear of the Lord is clean. I like that. <clears throat> it means the fear of the Lord is just that it's clean, it's pure, it's not mixed. Like, oh, you're awesome, God. <laughs> I'm afraid. Hope I don't fail. It's clean. It's pure. It's not mixed. And one of the best representations to help us understand what did he mean by fear of the Lord? Because it's saying the fear of the Lord sets us free into life and wisdom and knowledge and abundance. And when Isaiah is caught up and he's getting visions and revelations of Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And he's describing them in Isaiah 11, that the Spirit of the Lord's going to rest upon him. And in verse 3, he says, And his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be the fear of the Lord. In the Hebrew, it is this picture. And that's important because that's where we're first told of the fear of the Lord, what we call it in English. It is to be awestruck, to be in wonderment at the measureless, boundless, insurpassable love of God. And the power with which he desires to bring that love to earth and to you personally. That's what it means. That's the real fear of the Lord. So for Isaiah to say, when the Messiah comes, the fear of the Lord will be his delight. Isaiah was saying, he will come. And when the Son of God comes, he knows. He has touched. He has been with. He has seen. He is still awestruck and in wonder 
by the endless, measureless, boundless love of God. And the endless, measureless, boundless power of God to bring that love to us. In days past, we, we thought, you've got to have the fear of the Lord because it'll keep you straight. It'll keep you from sinning and it'll make you holy. You should be, oh, it's not biblical. The picture was in the Hebrew that you were so lost in speechless amazement, wonderment, and worship that the God of all has chosen to be pure love without measure and to use every ounce of his power that even flung the universes, he used every ounce of his power to come to you personally. As Hagar said, Oh, now I worship you, O Lord, and I name you, you are the Lord who sees my need and comes to me. The real truth of fear of the Lord breaks the counterfeit. When Jesus walked this earth, a father would come to him in fear and anxiety. My son, he throws himself into the fire and into the water. He's got demons. In other words, I'm afraid for my son. But that fear was trumped by the holy recognition of Jesus. I am in amazement of you. I am in wonder of you. I see the way you love. I see the way you release power to heal everyone. I'm running to you. And as he runs to Jesus, the fear about his son falls off. And the woman with the issue of blood who was afraid. But when she locked her eyes, her thoughts on, I am amazed. Look at the authority and the power on this man. He heals everyone. And that drove her to touch the hem of his garment. Her fear and her disease fell off. And there were times... When normal folks like you and me were so awestruck and so in wonder as they felt the presence of love and power on Jesus that they stayed with him for three days and had nothing to eat and didn't even notice. First John 4.16 says it's perfect love that casts out this fear. Because that kind of fear has to do with punishment. It's the real that defeats the counterfeit. And I will be very transparent for a moment. I've been blessed to be in the ministry. You don't, well, 
more than 40, 45 years, okay, a long time. And I've watched and I've been a part of a zillion, you know, deliverances, prayers of healing and et cetera. And I've seen God move beautifully here and overseas. I've seen him heal everyone in a service in Brazil with over 600 people. I've seen him do some amazing things that I just sat back and watched him be God. But I can't tell you the number of times my heart's been broken when I've watched certain deliverances or maybe been a part of, and it someone's delivered. And fear is cast out, but a few days later it comes back. Because you know what Jesus said, you cast a demon out. They're going to come back and see if the house is full. And when they come back, they're going to come back stronger. And sometimes we as a church have not understood when we're doing prayers of healing and when necessary prayers of deliverance that maybe we should have the revelation that Jesus walked in. And we should release the beauty and the amazement and the wonderment and in pray the Holy Spirit releases the fear of the Lord in them, the amazing wonderment that he has chosen to use all his power to love us and all of that power to bring his love to earth. Because when you come to a situation, you have a choice. The enemy will try to create anxiety and fear, and, oh, what if this happens, and this is probably going to happen? Or you have a choice. Will I listen to the spirit of fear that God did not give? Or will I, for lack of a better English word, will I run to the freedom of the truth of this amazing fear of the Lord where I know in amazement and in wonder that he has dedicated his entire being to love me, to release his power to me and through me so that together we may change our world about us so that then more people come in to understand this kind of fear of the Lord. And then more people come in and more come in and more come in. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to bust our boxes of how we've always defined fear of the Lord. Help us to bust our boxes of even the subtle little places of anxiety and fear and codependency and proving and striving and to realize that is not of God. And every time we give into it, it lowers our intimacy with the Holy Spirit and it lowers the manifestation of his love power in a sound mind through us. <laughs> Luke twelve thirty two. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to just give you the kingdom. I want to 
want to agree with the Holy Spirit that we'll never be the same. 